Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Guys, thank y'all so much for joining us tonight for our last Oxano. I, uh, I, you know, when we were planning out the semester and looking at this last week, um, we've, we've, as a ministry, have been in this interim time, and it's, it's, it's so great for us to, to have new team members joining um, and, and so much momentum heading into next year. But, you know, I, I think about the, the summer break and, and what the summer break meant and uh, what it was like for me as a college student um, or what summer it was like for me as a young adult. Um, you know, it, it can be a time in which, um, you know, we can, there, there's so many uh, things that can distract you. There's so many um, things that you can get involved in um, because, you know, honestly, we, we don't have a lot of programming like this going on during the summer. It is a time where you can use it meaningfully to, to build new relationships. But I wanted to share something with you tonight that um, was impressed upon my heart, and I, and I hope that it leaves an impression on yours. When I was serving as a college student uh, with a church planner in New York, Pastor Sterling, he had this ambitious goal in one of the most uh, unreceptive places to the gospel of planning 20 churches over 20 years. And you know, when we think about church, we look around the campus that we're on. Long Island is their definition of church is a little bit different than ours. This would be like a a, a church summit of, of like four churches getting together. Just our Oxano service here tonight. But as we were going out to go door to door to to share with people, like we were like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, he, he uh, which, you know, some of us didn't have the best attitude about, but he, he pulled out this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And man, when I, when I tell you that it, it left an impression on me and it altered my view and enhanced my view of the gospel message. Uh, and, and I hope that that's your takeaway tonight. I hope that you see the greatness of God and the reality of the gospel message and, and the call and the bearing that it has on our lives. And so um, as Ivan just read from, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Now there's a little uh, interpretive tip that I wanna give to you guys that my pastor growing up, unfortunately kind of cursed me with, and I'm gonna, by extension, add that on to, to y'all. But uh, anytime there's a therefore in scripture, which there are a lot of them, my pastor would always say, what's the therefore, therefore, right? It is like the corniest thing ever, but it's super helpful in, uh, as we see them come up repeatedly in this passage and throughout scripture. And so we start with the therefore, the transitionary statement. So what happens here before verse 11 is a description and Paul talking about our heavenly dwelling, talking about what our heavenly bodies would be like, right? Because um, th these are people who are laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. These are people, um, you know, they didn't just have body images, image issues per se. Um, they, they, they would be uh, encouraged and comforted by the fact that they would get a new body one day, um, a, a redeemed, holy um, body that is for eternal life. Um, and, and so Paul talks about the tent in which we groan, that we are longing to put on our heavenly body and everything that we see in the physical world around us is mortal, right? That, that all that is mortal, as it says in verse four, may be swallowed up by life. 
He who has prepared us for this or purposed us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. The, the, The Holy Spirit who resides in us is testifying to the fact that we will one day have a full redemption, right? That the Christian life as we know it isn't all there is to it. It's actually just scratching the surface. And so that's, that's where we're going to be headed tonight in, in this passage in verse 11, that, that we are people who live by faith and not by sight. That, that what is seen or the outward appearance is not all there is to it. You know, Paul was at one point, we, we read in Acts chapter 18, he, he planted the church at Corinth. But Paul was disregarded as a leader by this church later as they gained a little more clout and prestige and and Paul was away from them. And uh, there was a group of guys called the super apostles uh, who were who really just kind of polished grifters. Right. They, they showed up in like their their Balenciaga and their Versace and, you know, had really good hair and just kind of Joel Osteen their way around Corinth. Right. Um, and and we're, we're basically like this Paul guy that you follow and, and that you've you know, trusted as a spiritual leader. He's homeless. He's raggedy. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't you know, speak very eloquently. Right? And so he, they, they kind of cast doubt about Paul and they start spreading these false teachings to the church at Corinth. And so Paul is very much under attack by these super apostles. And so the church starts to ask Paul to produce credentials or letters of recommendation. And Paul says, you're my letter of recommendation. The Holy Spirit testifies to, I planted you as a church, not that he did it, but that God did it through him. And so Paul thinks it's ridiculous that they're asking this, right? And so um, this is the kind of historical context that's going on. And the the truth is in in 2023, we know that uh, outward appearances uh, was an issue long before the advent of social media, right? That um, when we look up to Christian influencers, uh, the fact that that's even like a term, Right? Or, or people who have this whole outward appearance going on and, and we long to be like them. That's, that's not a, a new issue. Right? It's something that was going on in the church at Corinth. And the, the fact that they are asking Paul to produce some letters of recommendation is just an absurd request. Like um, who here likes to read reviews when you buy something online? Okay, you're our informed shoppers, right? What about uh, like when you see a review that's like the, the price is like too good to be true to start with. And so you're like, well, I'm going to like go and check out the reviews and, and see, you know, if this is like up to snuff and this is legit. And like all the five-star reviews are in like really broken English, right? <laughs> like, you know, something is up with that, right? And, and that's kind of what these letters of recommendation at the church at Corinth are worth. Like not much, right? Um, and, and, and so... Uh, Let's go into verse 11. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might, not longer, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died 
and was raised. So what Paul's talking about here is the, the radical reorientation that happened in his life. The, the life of Paul was turned completely upside down on a road to Damascus when he was still uttering and breathing threats against the church of God and, and, and Christ confronts him, right? And blinds him. Says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And so all, all of a sudden, this guy who out of his religious zeal was, was seeking to eradicate Christians and imprison them is now being imprisoned for preaching the gospel. He is, he is someone who is staring down death because he is trying to build the kingdom of God now, right? That, that his world gets completely flipped upside down. And so our first application point for tonight is that number one, things are not what they seem. You might be asking yourself, that seems like a really broad and vague statement. So what, what things are you talking about? Everything, everything. Jesus comes teaching us the way of a paradoxical reality. That the kingdom of God, we call an upside down kingdom because Jesus is flipping it all on its head. Everything that we might look at and think that we understand about the world, Jesus says is actually the opposite. That the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve, even though he had every right to and all the glory of, as the eternally begotten son. Jesus emptied himself and lowered himself to the form of a servant. He says that the, the, the meek will inherit the earth, right? If we read through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, we could probably spend a whole semester there in, in the future. Um, but, but, but Jesus explains how the kingdom of God is a complete reversal of the way that we understand the world and how we have distorted it. And so Jesus is bringing about renewal and reversal for a lost and dying world. And it is being swallowed up by life. As we read about earlier in this passage. I didn't get super into Stranger Things. My wife binged it. Um, but I was aware that there's this thing called the upside down. Right? It's this kind of alternate dimension that exists, right? And, and I would say that the, the upside down is a great concept as a parallel world. It's probably a terrible comparison to the kingdom of God. But I did like the name of it um, and, and the concept, the idea that the upside down is a dimension, uh, kind of like the kingdom of God is swallowing up what is mortal with abundant and eternal life. So as we see the redemption and the renewal of Jesus at work in the world around us, it is spiritual, it is not physical yet, but, but we see this, what is mortal, the way of man being swallowed up by life that Jesus brings. And, and so what that means for us, not just the created cosmos, but, but also for us as people, that when we step into a relationship with Jesus, we become a new creation, is what this passage tells us, that, that both the people around us and the events that happened are now oriented in light of the new creation. So when we're doom scrolling on our phones and we see the latest tragedy that happens in the world, or we observe the injustices that we can enumerate uh, in, in, in the world around us, our new perspective is that it, it should give us a longing for Jesus to come back because we know that, that Jesus is gonna be the judge, that Jesus is going to set that right. 
And so we have a longing for him to come back and restore things. And on the other hand, when we experience people and systems being transformed in a way that's consistent with the ethics of God's kingdom, this renewal gives us hope. It gives us a a hope-filled peek at how things are going to be in the new kingdom, right? And so we we have great hope. Now, we as Christians, we don't exist as escapists in the world, right? Like we, we are very much tethered to this reality and I, I don't wanna desensitize you with all this talk about the kingdom and the, the, the coming now spiritual but future physical reality. But this, this truth, it shouldn't just alter our perspective, right? This truth should alter our attitudes our behaviors, our hopes, our dreams, and our fears. And of that list, you as people with your whole lives in front of you, college students and young adults, you have so many of them, so many aspirations. And and now is such a formative time to dive into, okay, how can I be a part of this renewal? How can I be a part of how Jesus wants to make his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, we read that the fear of the Lord causes us to persuade men. Philippians 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the love of Christ controls or it compels us because we know that Jesus is going to win. Amen? And, and he is gonna stand over as judge everyone who has ever lived. And he's gonna usher in his eternal reign. And so if you think that, if you came in tonight supposing that everything in your life is, is all there is to it, then, then you've been sadly mistaken, right? You, you, you need to know the hope of the eternal kingdom of Christ. Verse 16 speaks into this complete renewal of our perspective. It says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so we forsake our worldly perspective you know, at, at a place like Dawson, we have the privilege of interacting in an intergenerational capacity, right? Um, at, at being college students or young adults in the workplace, you have the privilege of, of, of being exposed to people of very diverse backgrounds. Um, in, in your friend group, there are people that have individualities and quirks, right? And, and so, um, you know, I, I think this gives us a glimpse and a picture of how the, the kingdom of God is a diverse people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, that it's male and female coming together as one body. So when I'm about to make my next statement, I'm, I'm not trying to paint the world in this just very black and white binary, right? Because there's, there's so much that, uh, you know, I, I, could, I could commit erasure of your identity if I didn't consider all the things that uh, God has uh, made you to be the person that you are, right? But, but when we look at the ultimate reality, if we, we step back and, and we take a 60,000 foot view of things, 
that the, what this passage teaches us about the ultimate reality is that there are two types of people. That there are those who are in their sin and that there are those who are in Christ. So the theological way of saying this is that there are the regenerate and there are the unregenerate. Right? Regeneration describes uh, the, the transformation, or the, the step that we take from being dead in our sins and alive in Christ and following after him. Right? And, and at the, the, the time of regeneration, we're, we're made into a new creation. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence in us and begins to sanctify us, begins to make us more like Jesus. And so when we, when we look out at the world and the, the people in our lives, we should put it through the lens of, does this person know Jesus and walk with him or do they not? Because that is ultimately the most important thing about us, those of us who have trusted in Christ. There's the core of our identity and everything flows from the locus of that identity in Christ. That we once lived for ourselves, but now we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died for us and was raised again. Y'all know that that very uh, campy worship song, Glorious Day, right? Um, it's like, sorry, it's like, y'all, y'all finish the lyric here. It's like, you call my name. Down, 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 down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are like dancing around and like, you know, like, man, I thought you were pretty Baptist and like, you're just like dance, running up and down the aisles, okay? And I know I'm being a hater right now about that song. Um, I, I fully acknowledge that, but um, it is super catchy. But, but when we follow Jesus in his resurrected life, uh, the, the spirit is a guarantee, right? That, that he called us out of death, that we were um, like Christ, that we, were, um, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we've been made alive in him. And so this past Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we celebrate the fact that we too will be raised to new life. And so that's what it means to be a regenerate follower of Jesus. In verse 18, it says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Bible scholar Murray J. Harris has this to say. He says, reconciliation is not some polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather it's total an objective removal. That our sin is a hostile rebellion against God. That like family members who have some just decades long beef and they don't speak to each other anymore and it's super awkward when you go home or around the holidays, right? That is like, it is like, it's that, it's that deep, right? It is that, is that, um, type of transgression that separates. And, and I'm, I'm not you know, submitting to you that, that, that God is being petty about this, right? But that God is holy and he's good and he desires for us to share in his likeness. And so with that, that hostility that exists from us, right, that, that all of us have sinned 
And all of us have offended the holiness of God that he took it upon himself to redeem us rather than leave us there. That in Christ, God called us to himself and now we get to sit at his table. Amen? That that is an invitation that's extended to everybody. Everybody within my earshot tonight, everybody that is going to be in the sphere of influence of, of all of you as you leave here tonight, that everyone needs to know and hear that truth. That they can be brought into the family of God and that, that God went to the greatest lengths imaginable to make that happen by sending his son to die for us. So verse 18 talks about how all of this is from God. Our third application point tonight is that the person and the work of Jesus reconcile us to God. That Jesus is what he does. Jesus is what he does. He makes unity between God and humanity in his person and in his work, right? That his, the personhood of Jesus is that he is 100% God and 100% man. That within his identity, Jesus makes harmony between God and man fully. And in his work, in the virgin birth, in the sinless life, in his atoning death, and in his bodily resurrection, he reunites us with God. And so that's what I mean by Jesus is what he does. This is the scope of reconciliation. The God-man, Jesus Christ, right? That, that no one else can atone for sin and no one else can make right relationship between God and man except for Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 20 goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So our fourth application point tonight is that God has entrusted us with the mission of persuading others. Some of you have, have might felt a little bit of angst there as we work through all the theological underpinnings of where we're gonna go tonight. And, and now we've established the, the scope of Jesus' reconciliation and how he's accomplished that, I wanna talk about, okay, what does that mean for us now? How are we called to live out the mission that God has entrusted to us? I'll start by saying this, this might sound a little pithy to you, um, but something that was super comforting to me that someone shared, it's we share the gospel, God saves the people. Right? We, we might have this idea in our heads that like, man, it is like my responsibility for someone's salvation, right? I would say only, only God can do that. Only God can do the miraculous work of transferring someone from death to life. And so I just wanna go ahead and alleviate that burden from any of you tonight. If you felt like, hey, I shared the gospel with this person and um, you know, I tried to explain it the best way possible, but uh, they just, you know, didn't agree or they didn't want to hear me out on it. And maybe if I had said something different, then it would, it would have gone differently. But, but I'm here to say to you that, that, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, saves people. 
And, and he certainly has called us to and entrusted to us the ministry of proclaiming the gospel message. But, but nowhere in scripture does it say that it is our responsibility for someone else to come to faith. And so um, we, we know that that is something that God does, right? One of my favorite phrases in scripture, uh, it, it occurs in Matthew chapter five, again in Acts chapter eight, is Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount says, he opened his mouth and began to teach them. Then in Acts chapter eight, it's talking about Philip and the Ethiopian man uh, who he's sharing the gospel with. It says, Philip opened his mouth and began to preach to him the good news about Jesus. Our responsibility and our calling is to open our mouths, right? Maybe you've heard a falsely attributed quote before. It says, uh, preach the gospel at all times. Uh, if necessary, use words. Um, that, that's, a, that's a fake quote. Um, just go ahead and, you know, I could, I, you know, we can sit down and have coffee and I give you the explanation as to why that is. But, but when we see people coming to know Christ, there's a herald, there's a proclaiming of the gospel that, that people have to be taught and, and there has to be an opening of the mouth. Right? And so if anybody thinks that, um, man, we can share the gospel with, without proclaiming it, I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's just, that's not biblical, right? That, um, that, that we are God's spokespeople, that God is making his appeal through us. And certainly our conduct matters because our, our conduct can undermine our words, right? And, and, and so people might be willing to hear us out if they see our good conduct and praise God for it, Right? But, but that ultimately we are called to be Christ's ambassadors, that we are God's spoke people, that we are people who are in a foreign land, that we're advocating for the interest of our true home. That's what it means to be an ambassador, right? Not the, the people um, that walk backwards around campus and tell people about where the buildings are, although your work is important, right? But, Ambassadors are people who go to a foreign place, right? And they represent the interest of their homeland. And so that's what we are. We are people who are in enemy territory. We are people who are entrusted with a message that we have to share of an ultimate and truer and greater reality that is the kingdom of God. And that, that God has prepared this purpose for us, as it says in verse 5. And because things are not how they seem, as we've established, that we're, we're kind of like double agents, right? That, that we've been given this mission that is covert, right? One that, that, that we are aware of a spiritual reality because of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And may we not forsake that mission. So to wrap this thing up, I served in several capacities um, when, when I walked in your shoes as a college student. Um, there, were, there were summers where I worked an internship or co-op. Uh, there, were, there were summers where I served here at Dawson. Uh, there was one summer that I, uh, I served as a, um, in, in church planning uh, as, a, as an intern. And um, of the places that I served in, the places that I was at, the, the most sustained exposure that I had to people who fell into this category of not knowing Christ was in the workplace, right? And, and so to my young adults in the room, to my, my college students who are going off to do an internship this, this uh, summer, 
I want to encourage you that, that this is probably going to be a place where you're going to be around the people most who don't know Jesus. And, and may you be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you, as it says in 1 Peter. May you view your time not just as a way to get class credit or a way to make a paycheck. May you view it as a time of being an ambassador for Christ. There was one summer that I served and, and worked for the power company. And um, there's a guy that I worked with named Bruce. Um, he was an interesting fellow, uh, fell asleep at his desk a lot. Um, but uh, man, he was just uh, had a really hard and difficult life and past. And um, I, you know, I felt very unequipped to like, as, as someone who was just kind of getting my life started to, to speak into that, but um, shared with him the hope of the gospel and, you know, he, he didn't have this just radical conversion experience in front of me. But several years later, um, I heard from someone that another person had approached him at work and that Bruce had trusted in Christ as Savior. And so I, I don't tell you that story to, to, to make myself the hero of it, but to encourage you and say that you have no idea how God is going to sow gospel seeds with the conversations that you have with your coworkers, with the interactions that you have with people uh, when, when you are going to wherever you go this summer, right? And so the, the lasting impression, the exhortation, encouragement I wanna give to you tonight is that, you know, what we do here at Oxano, right? It, it, I want it to mean something as you go out from here. For those of you who know me, you know that I don't take myself very seriously, right? But I do take what we do here very seriously because I, I believe it is our calling, is our mission to know Jesus more and to send you out to share about and testify about the good news of who he is. Father, we are humbled by the young adults and the students you have brought Father, they're serving you in various capacities this summer. Father, I pray that they would not lose perspective of this moment, Father, um, of this calling that you have placed on their lives to, to be ambassadors for you in the places that they will go and they will serve. So, Father, give them boldness, strengthen their hearts. Father, as your word says in the book of James, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Father, we know that within our own strength and in our flesh, Father, our heart and our flesh will fail. Father, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forevermore. And so, Father, we pray that you would pour your spirit out on these students and these young adults, Father, as they go from here. And we're grateful to worship you tonight. And Father, we pray that you would continue to press it upon our hearts, that we are your ambassadors. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.